Hello, I'm Dr. David Kaiser, co-founder of Kaiser Neuromap, and you're listening to the NeuroNoodle Podcast. Welcome to NeuroNoodle's Neurofeedback and Neuropsychology Podcast, featuring our neuropsychologist, Dr. Laura Jansen, Dr. Skip Wren, and neurofeedback legend, Jay Gunkelman. Our goal is to provide information and promote options for better mental health. This is an all-star cast that are more than happy to share their knowledge with you. My name is Pete, and today we have on the show Dr. David Kaiser, founder of Kaiser Neuromap. But before we get to Dr. Kaiser, we'd like to thank our Patreon supporters, Outrageous Baking and Ars Coso. Outrageous Baking is a dedicated gluten-free bakery that has been around for 15 years. They specialize in delicious gluten and dairy-free sweetbreads everyone will love. Hey, they ship across the country. Maybe they can get some over to Skip uh, in, in Grand Forks. A squirrel hit a power line, guys, so Skip's out today. Dr. Kaiser, thanks for coming on the show today. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me. So, Dr. Kaiser, Jay, you guys know each other. Can you give us your background, how you how you know each other, and then tell us about uh, your company, doctor? Jay, I think I met in like 96 or something like that, or very early on. I got my PhD in 94, and uh, I was working with the Othmers and Barry Sturman known him forever. And uh, our, my company is with my wife, kidnapped a woman from Columbia. And that was very helpful. She's a neurotherapist, so clinical psychologist. So we have a nice practice out here. We're in like small town Los Angeles. We're on the corner of the county, but within range of everything, which makes it very nice and peaceful. It's a nice office, like four stations. And it looks like you're walking into a blockbuster because we do everything with DVDs. So you have a DVD wall. It's a good place. And when she's running someone and I'm not running someone, I'll be watching movies and, and drinking the Kool-Aid, doing sessions on myself. And we treat all kinds, you know, we treat all comers, all kinds of conditions, usually depression, anxiety. A lot of people, most adults are showing this COVID anxiety marker. So we're seeing that all in almost every adult, not in kids. Other things, attention issues, memory, just like most people are doing neurofeedback and I don't like to be recruited too much. So I like having kind of my own time and my, so I'm recruited. I do some of the sessions, you know, and my wife, I always hand it over to her because she's a, I always like to say she's got much better social skills than me. She can handle be much better, but I, I do the neuroscience and, and together we're a good team. Dr. Kaiser, where, where are you located? It's Monrovia. It's next to Pasadena. It's to the east of Pasadena. And it's a beautiful location. 36,000 people. There's a farmer's market out here. We actually, started in the farmer's market for a while we just wanted to get connected to the town and it was a beautiful town i discovered one day when i was going to the movies because they have this great movie theater it was all lit up like christmas even though it was in the middle of like whatever it was september and uh very nice peaceful my commute's four blocks to the office place and it's near all the airports so we have people fly in from like new york city and so forth for for intensive sometime and yeah, it's not, it's, 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 I grew up, my second hometown was LA. It was the first hometown I had with a car. I grew up in New England. And so this is a, uh, uh, my second hometown was West LA in essence. So I know all the, I know how to get around in Los Angeles. And, but as you get older, you know, somehow I hit 57. I'm coming on 57 this year. It's uh, nice to be in a peaceful place. And I'm in this huge complex as a beautiful pool. Looks like the Hearst Castle out here in this pool. And although I don't use it that much. And um, but it's like a feeling of just complete 
safety. I was out downstairs this morning smoking cigarettes, actually, and it was amazing. I'm usually not up at this hour. You know, you're catching me during my dream sleep right now. But I was amazed at 6 a.m. how everyone says hello, how good morning, you know, at 7 a.m., good morning. After that, I don't think so. You know, you never talk to people passing busy, but it's amazing to see the morning people because I know usually are not up. And I, I knew David basically initially through uh, Barry. Uh, David was one of the last groups of uh, students to go through PhD at UCLA with uh, Barry's guidance. We always had some interesting talks because Barry's a thalamus guy, there's a lot of other stuff in the brain than that. I remember at one point uh, discussing the fact that the limbic system actually created EEG in the theta band, and uh, that uh, kind of conflicted with what uh, uh, what David had been initially taught by Barry. Yeah. And you, you asked, well, why would you need a, a, a second oscillatory system? Yeah, well, you know, one, one to monitor the other, you know, so feedback. So. Yeah, in fact, we never talked about theta um, when in the lab. It was alpha, everything was alpha, and then delta kind of came in occasionally. And it took like some conferences before we even talked about theta. So it was one of those things. So. One of the nice things about school is you get it deep into a topic. And then when you get out of school, you kind of catch the next silos over, uh, kind of cross-pollinate some information. So, yeah. uh, But uh, there, there's nothing quite like a, an EG meeting to end up with cross-pollination. Huge amount of information held by different individuals. And at those meetings, you end up having a, an information dump from one person into the next. It's, it's always fun. Uh, to, to end up with the, the information flow at a meeting. Do you see any uh, inflows of different types of uh, symptoms that are coming through? And you know, since 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 COVID, you brought up COVID markers. Is Anxiety. There inf- yeah. Oh, and when you have we have, we have an area like um, that deals with our personal boundaries, how recruitable we are to others. And when you have PTSD, and a lot of people are giving the PTSD marker posterior cingulate disconnect, they often get area five. Area five is preparietal. It's involved in how recruitable you are to others. And that goes, and we, we, start, we start talking in colors, green being the, the healthy state, orange and, yeah, and yellow being the, the states we don't want to be in typically. And the area goes yellow in our, in our brain maps. And the people are too recruitable. And also about recruitability can also sometimes lead to violence or self-violence, uh, suicidal ideation and other things. So we do see, and we, everyone has, usually it's 38L on the right, uh, left side, sometimes on the right side. Um, where we see a uh, that also will go to a more limbic state where the the uh, limbic theta is dominating, and in fact, what we look at is one of the things we do is look at how to purge out the independent theta and just let the thalamic theta through, and like well, I use this function called bimod function, and we do uh, a bimod between alpha and theta, and try to increase it the cord the correlation or coordination between the two to not reward the independent theta because most of the time the independent theta is the problem. Um, I have this really simple model I can give you. But actually, I wanted to, one thing Jay's probably never heard, I don't know if you heard my neurocosmology stuff. The cool, the weirdest thing about theta is the, the 7.5 hertz, which is, you see in rats, you don't, you know, as the, sometimes as the dominant, and it's right there on the cusp, you know, high cusp, is that if you take the Earth's circumference and uh, divide it by the speed of light, you get 7.5. And it's as if I know you have the Schumann rhythm, you know, before you bring that up, but but the 7.5 is as if the if I know there's not having gravitational pull of a photon going around us, but it's really it's like there's some kind of light coordinates to, in this way that you can think of like lights telling the, the, the creature to pay attention, pay attention, pay attention 7.5 times. So take a sample of the environment. 
And it's a very weird thing because, okay, the first thing, you know, I mentioned this and sometimes people say, well, I mean, that's meaningless. You know, Sig, Sig often used to say, like, that's meaningless. Yeah, I said it could be meaningless or it could be entirely meaningful, telling us how we're related to the earth and the cosmos. It didn't have to even be close to any of our frequencies. Like if you look at the, the earth's circumference and, and the speed of light, it could have been anything. It could have been any range, but it's in our range where we process. So that in itself is interesting. Just like they deal they, in physics, they study the gravity versus matter, and they get like one-tenth the matter to close the universe, but they go, that's close enough for us to be looking at the problem because it could be anything. It could have been one billionth of it. And so that 7.5, I know there's a human rhythm of 7.8 or, or so, but I always think about that and because I see it in the primitive mammals, and we're just doing four, th- we're doing four, three, four thirds of C when we get like 10 hertz. And 10 hertz itself is suspicious. Part of it is the suspicious of why are we doing 10 hertz? You know, one of the things could be, did we train ourselves into these 10 hertz, like subharmonics because of our electricity? You know, we started at like 25 hertz and got up to 30 hertz, and now we're at 50 and 60 hertz for our lights and electricity. And so it's, that's what's causing the 10 hertz. And if you look at like dogs and cats, you know, they're, they're at 10 hertz typically, but that's also, but they're in labs with their 10 hertz. So is it because we entrained ourselves to 10? Or is it some kind of basic physical property, which I'm calling this neurocosmological principle? Or is it just something about the biophysics? It has to do with the, 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 the length of the uh, optical nerve, how fast it gets back to like area 18 in the back of the head. And that's like 100, uh, 100 milliseconds. So that's the interesting thing about theta in some level, or the high cusp between theta and alpha is that it's uh, looking how it relates to basic principles of the cosmos. Yep. So, so let me just jump in. Uh, good morning, David. Um, hey. Yeah, we haven't met before. I'm a neuropsychologist and we're helping uh, kind of get the word out, so to speak. And what, what we're trying to do with NeuroNoodle is to kind of um, bring, bring the idea to the masses kind of thing, get neurofeedback to be a little more um, commonly used. Uh, we're in Chicago based near, uh, you know, one of the suburbs here. Uh, based in the suburb, actually, that the bears are looking to move their um, move Soldier Field, by the way. I don't know if that's happening, Pete. You can comment on that later. But anyway, we're, we're near Chicago, and neurofeedback really isn't much of a thing here for some reason. Uh, there's, there's a handful of um, clinics. Uh, you know, the biggest problem is insurance doesn't, you know, uh, give it any credibility. But uh, so we're trying to get the word out, and we're trying to kind of put the language more user-friendly. So NeuroNoodle, just, you know, trying to drop the, the language out of the scientific, um, uh, you know, lingo a little bit so it's more understandable. So that, that's kind of what we're about here. So if, if I can kind of break down a little bit of what you're say, saying, David, to because we have people who are definitely clinicians listening to us and we have tech, techs listening to us, but we also have parents in uh, individuals who are interested in pursuing neur- neurofeedback and they're just trying to learn about it to, you know, make a decision and whether it's something that they're interested in, in doing. And so if, if I understand what you're saying, David, is that there's a natural brain rhythm that human beings are kind of geared to a certain brain rhythm and animals have a different rhythm and children have a di- different rhythm and older people have a different rhythm. And you're talking about different frequencies, different oscillations, as, as Jay was just saying. That So we have slow uh, rhythms and we have faster rhythms and you know how adaptable the individual is and, and the point of neurofeedback is to become more adaptable and get a brain rhythm to be healthier and um, so if I can ask you to maybe break it down a little bit to the individuals who are um, 
you know, thinking about pursuing neurofeedback, but don't know much about science. It's yeah, just, I'm not, I don't have to get, I was just bringing it no, up. It's, absolutely, it's, no, I, absolutely. Because Jay, Jay's here, giving a new idea of data. Right, I, I know, I know. I'll give you the, the simple model, because I've been doing this 30 years. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I like to tell, like, the brain is a two-story house. We have mm -hmm. the limbic system, and we have the neocortex. And when we're born, the, the neocortex is not ready for us. So, and the neocortex is, going to be, is 10 times bigger in terms of cells. And so we move into the, the, to the limbic system. Well, when you go into the limbic system, you're what's called relational thinkers. You think everything's about us. First, we started off, we think we're the center of the cosmos. And then, but everything's about us. So like, and you can still see this in, in humans and in mammals and so forth. Like if a uh, car honks and a dog will bark at the car, the car is not about the, the dog, but the dog thinks it is. So you have relational thinking. And we go from relational thinking to object thinking. You see this in developmental psych. We can see in our brain map how many, we look at 55 brain areas, how many of those areas are still relational, still letting the limbic system, the theta come through from the limbic system, be it the amygdalas or the hippocampus or, or the fornix or wherever. And we, we can see how long they are this maturational gradient towards letting the neocortex control their, their thinking. And again, you go from relational to object thinking. And object thinking, things are independent of us and we got to find a balance point and the balance point is our healthy norm group our health our group is very healthy like a lot of people use databases with like sort of average people ours is the opposite ours is very uh, high functioning people everyone's got college educated half of grad schools stuff like that so you're heading towards high norm but that's the norm we go for because you can actually overshoot it and have to like literally have too much blockage of that limbic you got to have some relational thinking and you don't want to be too much out there and that's how we Look at statistically, you go from this yellow orange color out to the blues, and we want to get in between them. The mean, the healthy norm, which is green. So we can tell when we look at a brain and we go 55 areas and we go through each area, you're relational here. Now, occasionally you're going to be relational and it will be a professional strength because you're, let's say you're an engineer, your visual processing, this area that deals with visual complexity, that also deals with three dimensional space, those areas often will stay relational. Now, the problem is anything that's going to help you in a professional career can make you vulnerable to the disorders. Uh, in your personal life. So for instance, if you have the, the visual complexity one relational, well, that's, that's area 19 in Brahman area 19, that's the beginning of uh, OCD or social anxiety. And so it's about being vulnerable there. And we have to figure it out. Like we recorded this well-known singer who was had an auditory cortex with both orange, which is in our, in our speak meaning very relational. And that's because creating those lyrics and creating the music very strongly connected to that material, but having per horrible personal life. That's why they were coming in for neurofeedback. And we see that like in the actors, area five, that recruitability marker, always orange. We've seen good actors and same thing with directors. Um, and uh, so they, that recruitability, because you have to be recruitable to be very collaborative. So, so we can look at a brain and see, okay, we get this, this spectrum of what areas are still relational, still letting the limbic system through, the instinct through, and which are showing like too much reason and in essence blocking too much, which are, those are easier to solve. When you're letting the limbic through, it means there's not enough material to like white matter or gray matter to block those initial impulses because that first floor gets done too you know, early. And this is the crocodile brain inside of us. And that's the one that's going to, and the thing when you have relational thinking, it's like me versus everyone else. When you have the neocortex, it's you get that group minded. You get that feeling of, you know, you're connected and you get all the benefits of group minded behavior, which is like we can, we can fly to a place. None of us probably knows how to build a plane, you know, and, and, and or fly a plane, few of us. And same thing with cars. And we take all the advantages of group membership, the more we can get the neocortex or this integration, this balance between the two. And we, we just train them towards them, towards that. And we have like, 
in our technique in default network training, it's actually sort of an, it's an advance on the, I like to say the OG, the original uh, gangster version of the stuff, which is what SMR training. A lot of it was, a lot of people have, they, they're literally thinking too much. They're putting too much blood flow in the neocortex. And you can see this by a deficit in alpha. And uh, so um, the whole point is, is, is to get the person uh, balanced and we can train. We have seven different techniques. Some are very old, meaning like magnitude training. We have something called Comod training. We do this bimod training. We do another one called CEF training, spectral edge frequency training, which is really nice. They use that in anesthesia. They go down to monitor. We train it up. Um, it's a slightly different formulation and some other ones. Do this technique. And then we remap people after about 30 hours and we see what's been improved and what else needs sessions. And it's pretty effective. So um, I think in some respect, we're in this beautiful time. Well, talk therapy can do some things, but the talk can't fix downwards <laughs> that much maybe you can fix the cortex but but we can fix i like to say it's the pre-conscious we're training this the rhythms the thing that controls like the blood flow supplies well and that makes the person more available for the talk therapy for the other forms of therapy and we're also having another thing we have a heyday in content because you know like i said we look like a blockbuster and so we have all this great great content and i, and I like to argue how people need more proxies in this world in fact for a while it's funny when we're doing this field and when people started doing movies i was like i love movies in fact I got into, I, I was a writer before I was a neuroscientist and uh, even had an agent out here. The thing about, um, I noticed is a lot of people don't have enough proxies. They're too self-centric. And it's like the more proxies you have, the happier you are. I mean, the proxies originally were having 150 tribes members out there, people part of our tribe. But um, so it's a lot of it. So now I, my, one of my jobs is also to, to suggest what content would be good. And I usually do a lot of do TV shows because then it's like a 10 hour, a 20 hour, you know, multiple season you know, proxy where we're following this other person so we can get out of our, give us more surface area, get us out of our skin in a way and our problems and think about what's going on in, in the fictional uh, narratives we're watching. So, so David, uh, what, what are you saying? I'm going to jump back to what you said earlier about the COVID, uh, home, the uh, presentation. What, what are you seeing and how is that affecting um, what you're talking about with the social integration? We see that 38L go limbic, we like to call it. When it goes, when it goes orange, which means it's, it's literally, it's actually going, the measure we look at, it's called theta unity. We're looking at it for like 2006. It's kind of, it's a functional measure, but it kind of gives you a structural correspondence because it tells you how, how transparent, functionally transparent the area is. Is it letting all the limbic through? Is it letting all the theta through in all directions? Neocortis matures, it's going to repurpose it, that theta activity. So you're not going to see this transparency. Well, when it's orange, it's transparent. And so we see transparency, meaning the, the probably the amygdala, the hippocampus, but definitely the amygdala is driving the show of the, of the processing that should be finalized in 38L. Now, 38L, and most people, we, we look to see which hemisphere dominance people have. Most people are uh, left hemispheres, they're expressive and right is they're receptive, but not all. Um, and we can do that with quick, quick tests and so forth. 38L is where we do our self-other separation, our distinctions of self versus other. The right side is usually more of our narrative our, our stories and so forth, but it's also, I like to say we have a we have fear of amygdala on the left and usually a rage of amygdala on the right. So if you see a lack of governance, when one's laying, you know, the right, it's usually have anger problems, frustration problems, the left is fear, retreat. And so that that's what we, in during COVID right now, we've had to demarcate ourselves, separate ourselves from others. This is a great example. I mean, we, you know, one Zoom, we're not in the same room, so... You're seeing that very uh, objectively in your maps that people uh, are changing the way they um, respond socially. Yeah, 
Yeah. We, we've seen every adult. I think one adult had kind of a mixed one. Everyone had it pretty bad. And we even have maps from before COVID to COVID. And then, yeah, they all turn orange uh, on those points. Um, they all have, they're all having problems in that self and other. Because in a way, it's, you know, it's really sad. I had PTSD a long time ago and, you know, still sometimes struggle with it. And, uh, but some of it's sort of good because I, I like to say I've been in a hole. I know how to get, get out of that hole and help people out of it. And the way everyone's sort of going through a form of PTSD. Some people are going to be much more impaired by it, but we've all, because PTSD is fundamentally uh, contracting into yourself, not expanding with the world, not expanding yourself. And we've had to put these limits on ourselves, put a mask on ourselves and what we do. And, and we can't go, you know, for a while there, we couldn't do anything, like go out to anything social or restaurants or anything. So, so you're living in your default mode, more or less. Yeah, I think you could say that. Yeah, but it is the default mode is getting messed up. It's more limbic. It's more primitive. It's not mature. It's not like it's not integrated with the, the group. It's now it's you're really into yourself. So yeah, you're auto. I like to say auto related. You're very much auto relating a lot. Um, so it's very left brain. Can be left brain. So the International Federation of Clinical Neurophysiology ends up suggesting that anytime you see something in the theta frequency band, you still need to decide whether this is slowed alpha or whether it's theta, limbically generated theta. And that differentiation sounds like it might just be academic, but ultimately it's foundational for the therapeutic intervention because a, a limbic system is driven more by dopamine and the thalamus obviously is, ends up having a totally different neurochemistry. Norepinephrine, uh, adjust the speed of the background alpha frequency, uh, glutamate, uh, hyperexcitability. I mean, there's, there's a lot of difference in the neurochemistry. And if you see somebody with a limbically generated theta frequency, uh, you don't end up intervening with the same medication intervention. You'll still be suppressing the same frequency band potentially for neurofeedback, but uh, it, it changes the uh, pharmaceutical intervention dramatically if it's limbic versus uh, slowed background alpha. Yeah, but you can see in the spectral plots typically easily if they have an alpha peak or you have what I call theta competition. You have two peaks. When you have a theta and alpha, then you can know if it's slow alpha or if it's theta. And like I said, I use bimod. I don't know if uh, we ever talked about bimodulation, but um, bimodulation just simply do the correlation of the theta versus alpha and we reward it up that coordination so that it's not independent theta. So we literally, like I call it, it's like not exactly a purge, but we're not reinforcing independent theta with the bimod training. But the, you know, it's funny, the comod seems to be one of the strongest. And also the, we do this thing called Ceph now, and the Ceph is just training faster frequencies. It depends on what the person has, but faster frequencies, and that's pretty healthy regardless of what the impairment is. Because we have, the, like I said, we use these colors where you have too much, too much theta coming through independently and too little. And say that in the the self the self training works for both, but you can see that in plots. Um, we use entropy. I know I know a lot of people use power magnitude. Entropy is just a parametrically friendly uh, magnitude measure, but you can easily see it, and you can see the maturation. And the one thing the one thing you have to deal with in terms of when you look at this, as long as we're talking about plots, or at least I'm talking about plots, is, is what I call harmonics. When you see these times two harmonics, or sometimes times two point seven, out there at, at twenty hertz, the beta activity. And if you're trying to figure out, is that a problem with the person or not? Because uh, it depends what you're doing. Like, for instance, you know, when I was young, I had just alpha. I had no beta. And I, and I like to say, well, alpha is your agency. It's telling you, like, if you're in a deserted highway, you're going to affect every. You're the one who's changing everything. 
But if you get crowded by cars, you have to just demote your upon me, demote your alpha. And that's the amount of time you ascribe agency outside of yourself. And that's in the beta. And, and during the eyes closed condition, you just see the person's habit of how much they are doing a harmonic. And you got to figure out, is it damaging them? Because sometimes harmonics will cause anxiety. And those will train by knocking them down and, and seeing if they go away. I like to say we use sort of a house technique from the show where sometimes with betas um, figure out if they are not helpful or not. I didn't have any betas when I was a, a young, young man, but that made me a not so good a husband because I didn't have, I was all agency and I didn't, I, you know, and now I have much more of a harmonics, have much more beta because of my bait. My wife is right around me and it makes a whole different experience of life. But like people collaborate a lot, like producers, directors, they'll have a lot of harmonics, but some people have harmonics, especially in decision-making areas, the dorsolaterals and those are a problem. And that's stuff we've known about for many years. We just, we just call it like excessive beta or beta spindles up in the front. So we, you know, we've been um, doing this, I think about four years here in Monrovia. So doing this training, I used to actually train at Starbucks when I first got out here. And it was interesting training people at Starbucks because everyone would be so, so sensitive about, Oh, everyone's looking at me. I go, no, everyone's working on the screenplays. Just ignore them. And only in a hundred sessions I did in Starbucks, only two people ever asked, why do you have electrodes on the head? We even did caps. We even did brain maps in Starbucks. And no one would ever ask because everyone's so self-absorbed. So you can just walk in there. In fact, somebody I'd be in the middle, uh, be on a side table and the person wanted, no, I want to be in that corner with you. No, no, you have to be on the middle. That's part of the therapy. Realize that you don't have to be so aware of the thing people are looking at you because they're not. Um, that's just one of the interesting story but now we have a real office so that was how i started off out here you know when i, when I entered the hole and i climbed my way out first through starbucks now i have an office well people are afraid of crowds i mean you're putting them in the middle of a crowd and you're 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 training them i think that's awesome i know and they did and the weird thing was no one would ask i'd have to like look at a person like aren't you going to ask what we're doing <laughs> and like finally got two people uh, <laughs> in the entire like 100 times to actually respond and go what are you doing you know and one time it was really fun. We were doing this brain map, actually, another coffee shop. And we had the whole cap on. And the lady who owns the coffee shop, what are you doing? And we go, we're doing a brain map. And she goes, okay, and walks away. And like, okay, that's all she needed to hear. But it is interesting. You know, everyone's, everyone's so absorbed in what they do. So, and in Starbucks in particular, they're all working on the screenplays out here. It was a case, I would actually, I started learning that. Like, keep, okay, you know, you have to sit, we're going to do it in the center. I would actually set up in the center tables, like in the middle of the whole place. Because I was trying to show them, don't worry about these people. And that's one of the problems, especially in social anxiety, is putting too much weight, too much value on the people around you and losing sort of your, you know, your what you're going to do because you think you have to somehow fit what's going on. And that's the harmonics. Harmonics is you trying to fit others. And uh, that's an issue. Actors and actresses, do you, do you get a, those type of occupations coming in to get uh, help? Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's been for their kids, but some for them. It's interesting, too. I mean, I, I've talked to people, are you, are you going to go through the training? Because, yeah, you know, I think these really healthy people. And one of the things they do, they do have like, the, they have these five, this five marker about recruitability. And one of these great examples of recruitability, it was, it was hilarious. And, and uh, one of the uh, actors had their daughter there and asked if she wanted to get something. Starbucks was nearby and asked if she wanted something with Starbucks. And then she asked, he asked everyone else, do you guys want anything? And I almost wanted to say yes, but I felt for therapeutic reasons, I had to say no, because the person, you don't have to be recruitable and so people pleasing all the time. This, we were actually, we're there to help them. And here the person's still doing, letting himself be recruited. And so that's one of the reasons why I think they were trying to get trained is because they were so recruitable. You want to be recruitable on the set when you're getting, you know, working with people that in your field, but you don't want to be recruitable on the street. And that's, I think, why this, this one actor in particular was doing it. And 
but they're all being you know successful right now. We had one, the most interesting element. I just want to say is one yeah. this director who did not have the fives yellow, and I actually made I actually was working with his producer, and I made a joke. I go, he doesn't even have yellow fives, and you know it's like I'm making a joke. But then after training, and we never touched the fives, they went yellow. And he was talking to me about this. He was going, you know, I'm so recruitable now. I go, yeah. Somehow your brain by fixing all the other areas realized because of your environment you had to be more recruitable. And he wasn't, he, you know, he was a guy who said no to a lot of projects and so forth. And, and, but now I went, or if those, they went limbic, even though we didn't touch them and normally we don't want them to go that way, except when that area is serving their profession, which it was in his case. You, you, you've brought up recruitable quite a few times and yeah, I, I have no degrees or anything. Could, could you tell me what recruitable means Jay or Dr. Kaiser? Well, I, you know, how I use it, it's, it's, it's people are constantly asking you to do things and they're constantly trying to get your attention. You know, life is life survives by taking life of others in a way, taking your, your time and your efforts. So recruitable, extreme example, take me to the airport. Can you take me to the airport? Buy me a cup of coffee. When I go outside, I go out that side with cigarettes and when I see homeless, you know, there's a there's a currency of cigarettes. They're always asking, can I have a cigarette? And just uh, and sure, it's like, you know, it's much easier than saying no. But it's like uh, how much people, you know, try to get your attention. The cell phones, the phones are hyper recruitable. You're constantly, you know, interrupting your goals for someone else's needs. That's recruitability, interrupting your goals for someone else's. And then we have we actually have this area six, the, su- the supplemental motor uh, area, area six that you can see in essence how much you try to recruit others to your goals. And, um, and that has narcissism and both of them are involved in self-esteem, but yeah, recruitable and boundaries is one of the major things um, we deal with and talk about. And, uh, and in fact, my wife will often say, you're being so recruitable, you know, and sometimes, or, or, you know, a lot of times relational, when I get really upset about something, don't be so relational about that. You know, it's interesting. I have all these people talk to me with this language that I, I developed and but recruitability is a major issue because the life is out there screaming at us to, to, for our resources and our time and uh and we got to filter out we only want to be recruitable to those who who we get in reciprocal relationships with that some benefit david benefit can you talk about group, the entropy you know. i'm looking at your slides here from your powerpoint yeah entropy is just a measure it's a measure of magnitude that that deals with the uh, probability that constituent that element will be in, in in the distribution you're looking at so just think of it it's just magnitude spectral magnitude in a way that's uh more um normally distributed and it okay. deals with how much like when we fall asleep we go into low entropy in, in another way that we only have few constituents when you go into like slow wave sleep for instance so, so if, if a uh, patient's considering uh, looking at a brain or getting a brain map and doing neurofeedback, why would they be interested in, in that? It's a measure of activity. It's the, it's, it's the best measure of activity. You know, the original measure in, was power in, in uh, 1965, Tukey and Cooley created this one, but power is a measure of uh, outliers. It's a whole, it's not really a good measure of central tendency. People use it for central tendency and eventually they started to realize, okay, we got to do relative power. But um, I, from the beginning, when you look at EEG signal, what you're really, you know, in manipulating, especially in feedback, is typically magnitude. So you're training the magnitude level. And entropy is just a very good, reliable way of doing a normally distributed magnitude measure. And magnitude is just the, you know, how much is in a rhythm, how much amplitude there is. So it's just a measure of activity. And, it t- and the activity tells you, you can tell certain things in terms of like uh, the thalamocortical system, talking about the thalamus. The spectral plots gives you a good description of what is going on in terms of how much 
the lumbocortical integration there is when they when they're doing an eyes closed condition. We do these eyes closed resting states, and you can tell okay, can you, all your cells marshal together and fire at the same same frequency, usually around ten hertz or so, depending what uh, age they are. Yeah, sure. And you're talking about you said a, a distribution, a normal distribution. So you're you're comparing, you're moving somebody's results toward a uh, a normal, healthy, a very healthy norm. It's a healthy norm, not it's not a low functioning norm. It's not a, it's not like something from med school where they this recorded everyone. It's a very healthy norm. In fact, I used to have a very large database and I, I narrowed it down to the healthiest people. In fact, like for instance, one's deputy attorney general right now, California, and another one worked at Denzel Washington. I always use that one as a good example. So um, I'll, I'll ask you what I ask a lot of folks. Um, uh, can we get a, a database of musicians and train people to become better musicians? Yeah, that's the interesting thing when it comes down to um, because you may be, be actually have training people away from the healthy norm on like the auditory cortex. So you'll be training them towards a more limbic to make it more creative, more relational. So it, it depends. In fact, like actors, like I said, they always have area five. So fives, if you came in and you're like not doing well in your career, I would train you probably limbic and fives. But we don't get to go to five first. We start with the default network. So this whole thing's called default network training. And we start with that. Pardon me, and then we go to um, the areas, the operational systems. But area five, we go to, and uh, sometimes thirty-eights. Thirty-eights look because um, that's where you, your sense of self is, and stories are, and and um, and that's the uh, area we might. But it's one of those things too. It's more about flexibility at some level. So driving someone into a limbic state, I'm not always sure because one of the things about fives, they are a violence marker. We actually were a violence marker before they were anything. Um, so we found them actually give you the story about how we found the fives is that I was talking to a clinician out there, our letter James and James in um, Cleveland, and she just had some kid beating her up. And because uh, she deals with horrible kids, this, these stories are horrible. These all adopted kids from like Uganda, Afghanistan and Kazakhstan or wherever it was. And so I said, OK, let's take me, give me five of your worst, most violent kids and five that are not violent. And let's just go through the brain maps until we find what shows that it was area five. Area five and area six, which show up as uh, limbic, mostly the area fives would be yellow and the violent ones. Well, those violent ones, that violent marker is also about recruitability. And you can think is you're not practicing. When you see yellow, it means you're not practicing that skill well. You don't, you have too much. You don't know how to be recruitable in a healthy way, in a reciprocal way. So like I did record from a guy who was like a studio head out here. He had fives who were yellow. And I go, you're not a people pleaser. I goes, no, he says no to everyone. So he hasn't practiced his, his recruitability at, that much as well. So, um, so you could drive someone, but it comes down to they would then possibly be vulnerable to those you know, disorders that would emerge. So like uh, the stress, we call them the stress markers on the auditory cortex. So you might make them relational, but they're probably going to mess their personal life up because they're going to be overreactive. One thing when you're limbic, you're overreactive to the environment. When you're in your neocortex, you're in your goal-directed state. You're in your glide path. And so if you get your neocortex, those are imbalanced, you're in the glide path, but limbic, you're going to overreact, you're going to let the environment intrude on your goals too often. And that's how you get a bad personal life when you go limbic in your auditory. Do you see a lot of uh, folks on the autism spectrum? It sounds like that's what you're talking about is the autism spectrum. No, well, we see some, but um, usually, um, lately, I, you know, my, my oldest kid was uh, autistic, but um the um, and it was unfortunate. I couldn't really help him because I didn't know enough. As he was getting, he was getting more artistic than I was learning how to solve it. And he went through some neurofeedback uh, patches there and improved them. But um, 
we see autistics generally through, um, like I, I, I supervise a bunch of clinicians around the country. And so I see them through those cases. The one problem with autistic, if it's very low functioning autism, we use movies as a reward. And some autistics, you know, and they have to be new movies. They have to be something they haven't seen before. They can't just be repeating the same thing over and over again. So they have to be able to be rewarded by movies. So for the autistics, so that's the one thing most of them can be but and we don't see them directly and i think that's partly is the universe giving me an out because I, I had to grow up you know i had to raise an autistic child so um it is a case of you know i nowadays we see i like to say we see zebras we don't see horses we see unusual cases they've come through you know they're already if they come to us there's a you know, it's a weird we're like the backstop in, in playing baseball you know if the catcher doesn't catch the ball we catch the we catch the balls that are fly around that's we get these hard cases but there's all unusual things and and i'm trying to think if we have anything autistic recently we, you know i think it's sort of my universe is not i see him from the distance from supervising not directly um and because i think it's sort of fortunate it'd probably be traumatizing for me to see another you know, see autistic because of all the work I had to go through with my son. But, um, you know, we see some kids, usually the kids we see are dealing with ADHD or learning, learning, slow, uh, developmental issues, slow in learning. And um, it's amazing sometimes how kids can, some can snap right in immediately and other ones you have to work hard. Um, they do much more sessions, you know, so depending on what their issues are. And sometimes the issues, you, the parent, the kids hyperactive, but you just help to organize it in, ten, in like 10 sessions, kids gone. And we do uh, two hour sessions. That's one thing different than probably most people. Most people do like one hour, half hour. Uh, we do two hours because we do the whole ultradian rhythm. So our rest and activity cycle, we like to pick up both, both elements of that cycle. So, but I don't usually see autistics directly, see them through supervision. We've seen quite a bit of autism in uh, in the work we've done and it is a spectrum disorder it's obviously not a even a close to a single entity about 40 percent of the autism population have epileptiform discharges that are classical and another 20 percent have paroxysms that are probably based on an instability like an epileptiform discharge and uh, for those kids, it takes a long time, but we've seen them actually escape the ability to be diagnosed as autism. Um, you can't cure it because you can't catch it, but you can train somebody so that their behavior doesn't any longer fit the diagnosis. And the, the ones that are most difficult are the ones that have the epileptiform discharges. The, the Asperger's autism, which isn't even a term in the new DSM-5, I, I thought it was a useful one previously. but no, It is. Yeah. Someone said that I had an Asperger talk to me and say, oh, Asperger doesn't exist anymore. Oh, no, it does. Just don't, those guys don't even know what they're yeah. doing, the DSM-5. We, you, the term is useful. Stay with it. Yeah. Well, the, the, I, I still kind of gravitate towards it because it, 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 it's kind of understood. Um, but they're, they're, they're much easier. Uh, they're considered high functioning autism sometimes, but they're, they're, they're much easier to turn around. They're more like an ADD kid in the total amount of training time, but the ones with epileptiform discharges are more like training somebody with epilepsy. I mean, it's, uh, it, it takes quite often a hundred sessions or more. So. Yeah. And we, we tell that, like I said, I can, we can get them improved or her improved, but we can't, they've missed developmental steps along the way. The period development, they're out of step. Like we did have an autistic up in North in Northern California who was, um, uh, he was violent to his mom. His mom was like five feet tall and he was uh, towering over her. And we got, we got violence out of, out of, you know, got that out of control very quickly. That's the one thing is we can target this area that deals with violence often. Um, 
but it is a case where we can't give them back their years. They, they, they've missed the developmental stages. So they improve. There'll be, still be noticeable differences about them. Um, but again, Asperger right now, especially, you know, uh, Elon Musk and, you know, you know, Asperger, you see, even I remember went to Denmark putting an advertisement for programmers. You have Asperger's, we want you to be a programmer, you know, because working with computers, you know, so Asperger's kind of, you can be very uh, functional in this society with Asperger's. Um, so, and I wouldn't, you know, it's kind of like Orwellian, Jay, with the DSM-5. They're trying to do new speak, trying to remove some term. No, it's Asperger. I did get over a fight with the person who had Asperger about using that term. And I was going, you know, it's useful. If, if it communicates, you don't give it the term. So you can't vote it out. That's called new speak. So, there, there's an article today, uh, Psychology Today, where let's see. $340 million were directly paid to psychiatrists from pharmaceutical companies between 2014 and 2020. So we, we talk a lot on, on this uh, channel about the DSM-5 and well, 4321, where you know it's a psychiatry-built manual, and it's interesting that the uh, drug companies are... Uh, you know, financing the psychiatrists. So, you know, got hand, hand in each other's pockets. So when we talk about, you know, the lingo that's useful to us as clinicians, uh, you know, could be so far removed from the psych psychiatry and the pharmaceutical uh, companies, you know, especially when we're talking about using alternate uh, therapies that are not drug related. Yeah. And, you know, I think, well, I like to tell people, cause I, you know, I train clinicians all the time. I tell them, don't worry what you see out there. It doesn't mean anything. You're going to train your variants. The people who walk through the door are actually versions of you at some level. They're parts of you. Just like your hand was not part of you in the beginning of life and you started moving it around and go, wow, my hand moves. It's part of me. Don't, you know, don't try to think you're competing with what you read. A lot of it's reflection. A lot of it isn't true. I, and then the reason why there's certain things you just realize the person comes, the people will come to you. If you work, it's like, I like to say, we push against a matrix, you push out good, you do work, it'll come back. I'm amazed. A lot of times I'd be in trouble. This is going back like two decades ago where um, I was, uh, would be like almost out of money. And all of a sudden I get an order from Saudi Arabia from someone I didn't know. And then I suddenly be out of money again and get an order from Turkey or something like that. People, then I would never hear from them again. I'm like, okay, the universe is feeding me manna. And so it's like, whatever I do, just keep working. Don't worry about it. And you're always going to have darkness out there. You're always going to have these these things that I all you know they always because in a sense it's like it's like a parent giving to a child what we're seeing out there and we think oh it's fair game but it's not like I try to apply it to grants and DOD stuff and so forth and and I was working with the military for a while there and and it's like it's just it's at some level that it's all sort of cronyism and it's not really competition and and not to worry about it just do your stuff and you will build your own solar system you'll build your own system of nurturing. And that's like me. It's like, I, we, we never, you know, we always have just enough, you know, it's a little bit feast and famine at times, but, and I don't like to be recruited all the time. I, I, that's one of the things is I like to be, you know, recruited in times where it's valuable. I think this is valuable for instance. That's why, you know, I sort of self-invited, I think. <laughs> so um, me to this podcast and uh, it's about, you know, don't be thinking you could drive yourself batty because what you're watching is something that's completely, un it's unfair at some level. And it's like this DSM-5, they, but they voted themselves off the island if they start getting rid of terms that are useful. And they don't know the stuff. They don't know the brain science as well as like Jay and I do. do. It's, like, it's like there's no way that they, are, they, they make these kind of rules based on the let them win the game already. You know, you know one time I was, in, I was playing with these guys, this is one example. And something I think sometimes 
to give you a weird thing about people, sometimes I can go backwards in time because the very last hand I had this one guy, I had four aces in a poker hand and I lost because of the rules he had set up in the beginning. And it's like I somehow lost with four aces. But um, and so sometimes the rules are just unfair and you just realize don't, you're, not, you're watching exchanges from like family members or darkness exchanging information. We're, we're out here in the light, just do what you do and, and it will come to you. And, and I'm amazed to watch it happen. In fact, I used to work really hard, 80 hours a week, maybe more than that, 100 hours a week. Then I said, one day I said, I'm not really getting anywhere. So I went down to like 10 hours a week. I was watching TV, playing cards or whatever. I made the same amount of money. Didn't make a difference how much I worked. I put the same effort in those 10 hours probably at some level. But so in some respect, when you see all these announcements, I just gotta ignore it. In fact, when someone sends me stuff about these various, you know, oh, look what this person's doing. And I always say, do you want to buy a bridge in Brooklyn? You know, or something like that. Who cares what they're doing? Just do what you do. And, and, and you get success. And you do something, by the way, by the time you hit your 50s, your brain is so well connected. It has very few naysayers inside unless you let them in. And then you let them in. That's limbic. Like, I don't, that's letting yourself be recruited, by the way. That's an example of recruitment. That whole description of $340 million, that's a recruitment from the outside world saying, Somehow you're not good enough. We're giving this money over to, to our sons or daughters over here. That's recruitment. And that's just, that's, you're not, just stay in your head and don't let that recruitment in. And those things are recruitments. And they're not, they're not going to, they, they really couldn't do that. I've seen things where people say they have all this money and all of a sudden they get near me and suddenly have no money. I've seen things shrink. It's a weird kind of gravitational vortex that we all exist. We all have a self-censorship principle around us and we don't have to really worry about these false recruitments out there. And, it, and it's damaging, you know? So I think a lot of things, I used to get these weird things on Yahoo where I'd get these advertisements for mortgages and the, the pe- they would be like almost key people on the screen. I'm going, why are they showing these kind of people? I'm going, there's something fake here. Something's going on and just start ignoring. You just gotta ignore all this stuff. I get 10 to 12 messages a week how I get, I'm gonna get money back from AT&T for my phone number. And you know, it's always fake. It's all scamming. And these are all scams. You know, at some level, they're scams. Try to go, try to go find that information. Go into the money. Go, go to the Pentagon. Find out if the money's there. So the drug companies end up paying directly for research sometimes. And if you look at the effect size in research, just the ability to separate two distributions from each other. And the effect size, if it's directly paid by the drug company, is gigantic. Um, if it's uh, somebody who's paid by the drug company who does the research, the effect size is a little bit smaller, but it's still pretty substantial. If it's not paid by the drug companies, at that point, it drops way down. If it's done by an independent academic center that doesn't have anything to do with the drug company, you get the smallest effect size. So you, you can see the drug companies paying out $340 million to psychiatrists don't you know that's influencing outcomes of the research that's coming out of those practices? It may be changing the drugs that they're prescribing to their clients. The drug companies used to spend a lot on the doctors. I mean, a lot more than the $340 million probably. Uh, uh, they started to advertise directly to consumers. It, it was know, ask, you know, this, this drug, and they, they talk about the drug without really telling you what it's for, <laughs> and ask your doctor about XYZ, you know, drug. And more recently, you hear some tell your doctor. <laughs> well, just 
go ahead and see how well that works, you know, so. <laughs> All right, um, and, and so the bipolar medicine, the schizophrenia medicine, those studies are particularly funded, um, you know, again, with the hands in the pocket with the psychiatrist back and forth. And so that's, that's probably why they got rid of the Asperger's is because you, you want to give your bipolar meds to, and, you know, to the folks who are officially autism in, you know, do you use as many of those drugs with the um, Asperger's probably not just because of the magnitude of the problem. So I don't, I don't think psychiatrists necessarily care, meaning I don't think this pharmaceutical companies necessarily care about Asperger's. We have to remember that the DSM is a psychiatric manual and they're the ones who supposedly have the last say on, on the, on the language because it's related to whether they, they give medicine or not. You know, the other stuff, they're, they're not as interested. There's nothing yeah. in there about neural feedback in the DSM. There's nothing in there about objective neuropsych testing. And there's flaws with neuropsych testing. I know that, but, but at least there's some objectivity to it, right? Yeah. And so, um, you know, back to what we're talking about is, you know, does, did Asperger's go away because a psychiatrist threw it out? No, of course not. The symptoms are still there, but but it's all in relation to whether, you know, it could be treated with a drug or not, because that's where these diagnoses um, are developed by the psychiatrist. Yeah, well, yeah, I would say, though, this is this is an area you have. This is an area five discussion because you, you guys are being recruited by this. It's also harmonics, possibly that you're you're believing outside of yourself and you don't you shouldn't believe outside of yourself. There's really nothing out. If you actually try to follow the money, it would probably go down to be like thirty two hundred if you actually followed it but if you think you're believing outside of yourself that's a harmonic problem that causes anxiety it, it, it makes you feel less grounded don't believe it and it comes down to you know they can do what they want you do what you want you build you'll build a stronger house you'll build a stronger foundation and it, it doesn't make it what they do like i said i had an i had an argument with this asperger about oh you can't use asperger anymore i go okay i'm fighting with this hyperverbal person who's going to be giving me this stuff and i try to explain Okay, that's what's news speak about. Remember, you ever read it? You must have read Orwell because you're Asperger. And remember when they try to change the language on you? Well, this is an example of it. But you realize, you know, you keep if you're fighting shadows, you're gonna be tilting in windmills all this time. And 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 complaining about it is not it's better to just talk about what we can do. And I'm saying this is the heyday or the beginning of the neurofeedback, you know golden era because it's amazing you know Barry Sturman we both know very well me and Jay used to argue why are these people complaining saying they're getting all these good results when they don't know what they're doing well one of the reasons is because you're they're training their variance they're altering the person occasionally you can alter in the wrong direction but if you get good feedback you just go the other direction one thing that we have over pharmaceuticals a hunt this is our great selling point we can go the opposite direction in most neurofeedback techniques like in my, in DNT, I know in most things, if you train like asymmetry for some reason, you can do symmetry. Or if symmetry makes a person freak out, you can do asymmetry. So you can easily, once you get the feedback, you know, you can figure out what to do. Pharmaceuticals, they can't give you an anti-Prozac pill. They can give you another one that maybe do the opposite a little bit on these receptors, but they're not complete opposites. And so we have that great strength in neurofeedback. And we get much faster changes you know you take these these neurotransmitters and, they, and it's like it's carpet bombing it's vietnam technique this is the idea of carpet bomb and back to the stone age this the brain no you build it up from from within and you you reinforce the healthy habits just like you've done in all behavior for people so i wouldn't keep you know i know i i was in that world i haven't even heard any of these things so i don't let them into my news feed anymore I, you know my news feed is all about the red sox and new, new england patriots and a few other shows and so forth but it is the case like you're that's a recruitment and a harmonic. And it's like, I can tell if someone has a harmonic when they come in and start talking to me about like 
Daniel Amen stuff. And I go, oh, you have a harmonic. I don't even have to do the brain map. I can, the moment they talk in, but what about this person? What about, you have harmonics. Okay, we're going to calm those harmonics. We're going to be trying to knock them down. You have excessive beta spindling. And it's clear. And, and so I wouldn't, I know maybe it's, it's good discussion. It gives you something to talk about every week to talk about what's out there, but it's better to, you know, to, to focus on what we can do. And I like I say, neurofeedback has this great thing. It's, it can be fast acting in some levels and we can do reversible. We can do what's called rescue protocols. We can go the exact opposite direction when we need to. And it, and it works endogenously. Um, people like using zapping. I, I can give you a whole argument why I don't like zapping technologies like TMS and so forth. I, I believe our neo cortex became columns to protect us from the earth's magnetic field and intrusions and if you let intrusions in it's like letting the others in they may momentarily help but they're not going to help for a long time but the point is that we are in ability to improve people and like i like we never turn anyone away occasionally i'll say okay go you go to ucla sleep center because if you, you bring in an epileptic kid you know you, we can help them and we can be very direct but we don't do it like the guys down in uh down here in Westwood do it and say, you know, they know what to do. But the only problem is the, the person's probably going to gain weight from the meds or going to get messed up. So I still do neurofeedback along the way. But most of the time, we'll take anyone who comes in and, and like I said, we take some zebras and, and we move them along. And it does take some time. But just like any, sometimes people think we're going to, I one guy say, can you turn me into an astronaut? Because I used to work with one guy who was an astronaut and, and pilots. I go, no, well, I can make your brain more flexible so that you're more available for that. But the astronaut I knew started at age six doing it. And this kid was 18, asking me to make him an astronaut. The thing is, that, so, you know, I'm trying to be, people have been doing this all for 30 years. I've been hearing about the pharmaceutical company and the corruption. Yes, it is. But it doesn't really affect us. It really doesn't. Stay in your, stay in your lane. Wait for the, pe- the ball to come over your plate and hit the ball. Don't worry about it. Those are pitches outside. They're never, you're never going to be able to swing and hit them. Plus the That's ball what, hits you in the head, then get a brain map. That, that there you go perfect yeah you know you, you use the term entropy and some people kind of don't quite get information what that is. Inter- information entropy or shannon entropy yeah. you can look in wikipedia for it what, what i would suggest is that any system has calculations for a point of entropy boiling point the atomic critical mass i mean th- those are classical entropy phase, phase transitions or phase entropy yeah. but yeah no entropy is i don't even tell no one knows what we're talking about when we use entropy we don't even show we just show them the the, the spheres of colors and that's and we tell them it's an activity measure it tells us how much the of that rhythm is present or not that's all you have to say the problem with entropy you can get into semantics where people are using yeah. like phase entropy which you just described and uh, we're not doing phase entropy um i once looked at phase entropy i looked at 31 parameters at once i found the most reliable ones and that's why i've been using you know, sense. So entropy is one of those things. It's just like power. Power can be thought described in many ways. And people mean power in, in, in an electrical system. It's different than in the spectral range. And it's activity. I mean, one of the times we had entropy skill. That's we, we had it. We had magnitude and entropy. And then I realized magnitude was so, I didn't have to worry about anything about skull thickness or anything with, with entropy. Relative measures uh, rule. Anything that's absolute, no. Don't have absolute measures. It's all relative measures because that means you're much more confident. And the greatest example is that within subject, within subjects of relative measure. You know, that's why it's, you, when you're looking at someone, okay, here's your map. Okay, here's your remap. And you can well, look at what's changed and where we're going to work now. So that's the greatest relative measure. Dr. Kaiser, to- what's, the, what's the best way for people to learn more about you and your uh, companies at kaiserneuromap.com or do you have any other that's links? It. 
That's all. Okay. That's it. I have a YouTube yeah. channel. I, I half of the, a lot of the videos, you got to do the channel itself. So if you type Kaiser Neuromap, you'll also get videos I get do to my wife. I make for my wife. So those are music videos. But you'll see if you do the channel, and I do something I call the master class about once every month, I get motivated enough to, to go find new images of and go over some topic like i just went over oglodendrocytes and so there's some but i you know my, my daughter has five million views for videos i get about five to ten i don't get many views but i don't mind because i also feel like i'm in a you know i'm in a stratosphere where most people it may not be healthy i have a few for people like uh, for intensives like advertising but not really that much uh that would be it's more for clinicians it's more for people who are really interested, but I have things on anxiety. I show some pre and post maps, but I get you right into the weeds immediately. I start showing the, the, the statistics and maps and so forth that um, may be a little confusing when someone's looking for like anxiety tr- treatment. I'm not showing, you know, kids running in a field or playing ball. I'm merely showing the brain map. And this is what anxiety shows up in the brain. And this is how we fix it. Kaiser Neuromap, got it. We'll have all the links in the in the show notes. Dr. Kaiser, thank you so much for coming on the show today. All right. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Hey, we thank you all for listening to NeuroNoodles, Neurofeedback, and Neuropsychology Podcasts. Again, we'd like to thank our Patreon supporters, Outrageous Baking and Ars Coso. We really are about gut health. I can hear Skip on the road yelling that out the window. Uh, Visit OutrageousBaking.com. Gluten-free, everyone loves. The links will be in the podcast notes below. Do you have an idea for a topic? Please email Pete at NeuroNoodle.com or leave us a voicemail with the link in in the show notes. Please give us five stars in Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Smash the like button on Facebook, Instagram, and follow us on Twitter. And hey, if you really, really like us, buy us a coffee on Patreon slash NeuroNoodle. We love our Patreon supporters. Cue the music.